welcome to Making the Effort Podcast. I am your host, Nietzsche, and with me today is my co-host and partner, Chris. Today, we're doing a lighter episode, I suppose, because last, our last two episodes were kind of heavy, topic-heavy, heavy in the fields. Yeah. <laughs> After the, the feels-heavy um, topic, I figured we'd do something a little more enjoyable, something we both enjoy, and that is travel. I like to travel. You like to travel. We'd really like to travel just all the time if yeah, we could. I, we like to travel together. It's kind of, it's a thing. And we've only really traveled to one place, really far away place, and all of our other travels have been more local. Yeah, just like a day trip or a weekend yeah. here and there. Yeah, and the furthest we've traveled is to Japan. <laughs> so it's a far... <laughs> it's all the way across the world. <laughs> it's a far, it's a difference between like, doing all of the things in Canada and then suddenly going it's from zero to a hundred real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Where like the first leg of your flight is to the furthest point in North America. And that just like (laughs) that just like a quarter of your travel. But I mean, we it's not like it was a terrible flight. Then again I have a bias towards Singapore Airlines. I still think they're Probably the best, one of the best, if not the the best airline. They were very good. The only airline I think I've been on that was better was KLM. Okay. Kuala Lumpur is also, they're also really, really good. Yeah. Okay, well, considering we both like to travel a lot, it's not like we have the same interests. Uh, You like to see different types of things when you travel, right? Yeah, so... I like to see all the the ancient history and ancient cultures of the place I'm going to. So I like to see ruins or museums that have things that were formerly in those ruins, forts, old parts of town, you know, these kinds of things. Anything that makes me feel like I can be at one with what used to be there. (laughs) If you were to summarize the things that you like... It would probably you like things that are old and probably cursed. <laughs> yeah, it, it like anything Indiana Jones would go to is where <laughs> I would want to go. So more like an adventure adventure type castles and yeah. That being said, I do like to also see how that culture has evolved and shaped the culture of that country to how they are in modern times. I think that's a, a cool way to see like where they came from and how it shaped who they are now. Probably war. <laughs> I I don't think you're hard pressed to find any culture really that hasn't been affected by some sort of war, colonization, colonizing. Yeah. Well, I guess this isn't that much of a lighter <laughs> episode now. <laughs> yeah, we have to... It is a theme with me. You have to bring it back. Bring it back to the, the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, it's not that too far off from what I like seeing, I guess. How to summarize what I like to see is I like to feel like a local. I'm less interested really in things long past, things long gone, and more interested in what now looks like. What do people do now? What mm-hmm. restaurants they go to? I don't want to feel like I'm just there for 
vacation or just there to like have a good time. I want to feel like I've left a piece of myself there and then kind of brought mm-hmm. another piece with me. So I, I try to avoid the more touristy stuff as much as possible. Like there are things mm-hmm. that you like you've mentioned before, like there are things that when we went to Japan, things that we should see because, you know, they're necessary almost. And some things we skipped purely because we're, we we don't like people. <laughs> when you travel to a place, there's a fine line between the like things that people like to go see because they're really good and everyone should go see it because it represents them and their culture. And then there's other things that people like to go see because it's a tourist trap and it makes them feel good and it looks pretty mm-hmm. and that's about that's... it. And finding like the difference yeah, between that's... those two. I remember going on a whole rant about this when we went to Japan to see, and we were kind of debating if we were going to see Mount Fuji, and I I told you that I didn't necessarily feel like we had to because Mount Mount Fuji is such such an integral part of Japanese belief and like the the culture. Mm -hmm. If you look at Mount Fuji, it's a mountain, but to the Japanese people, it's Mount Fuji is more than a mountain. Mount Fuji is a symbol of a lot of things, and I feel like we had to go experience the culture first before then visiting Mount Fuji, and and I feel like only then will we get the whole experience of like I know now what it feels like to be a local, to be looking at this mountain, and understanding that. This mountain means more than just, wow, it's a mountain. Yeah, I was going to say that that's another thing I find is if if it's just a mountain, there's mountains in Canada. <laughs> you know, if like if you look at it from that point of view, if it's just a mountain to you, then why would you travel halfway mm-hmm. around the world to see it? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with like um, like going to zoos or things like that. We have a zoo that's like 15 minutes from my house. Unless your zoo, like, really has, I don't know, like, the last of a species, like, in on the face of the earth, I don't see a whole lot of value in going to it. But if, like we were talking about with Mount Fuji, it's, like, so ingrained into the culture of Japan and the identity of Japan, then it becomes something you can, you should consider going to see. But I think you're definitely right that you need that sort of cultural context before you go to see it otherwise it's just yeah. another mountain yeah. and i know you like seeing like nature places and and seeing landscapes and i can't i can't find much joy in that unless i know more about the place cuz i my family likes to to recently we've been in a we've been on a a few more adventurous nature hiking type vacations and mm-hmm. we our first one was in our first like taste of it was when we went to south america and we did the whole like machu picchu trek up huayna picchu which is like a, this really like stupidly high mountain to look over the ruins of machu picchu which was amazing and it was one of those like nature things that i felt a connection to and then our next one was in Iceland 
and it also felt different. There, there was there was some context to it. And then our last one was in Italy, hiking the Dolomiti, like the ridge lines and everything. And there was less of a a cultural context there. Like the, our first hike was um was a pathway for the the Austrian soldiers and everything. So that gave me more of like an enjoyment walking through those pathways and kind of thinking like can you imagine being a part of the battalion hiking this like this high mountain in this these narrow ledges versus our other hikes where it was just mountains and just being high up and i felt like i could have been anywhere else and not needed to be in italy do you know what i mean yeah i know what you mean i i guess in that sense it's more of the historical context rather than the yeah. cultural yeah. context but you need some kind of context to mm -hmm. frame it otherwise you know it's just another hiking trail what makes it any different than you know the other tens of thousands of hiking yeah. trails around yeah. the world like, i need i need a story attached to it somehow before it starts to mean something to me and i must as much as i say like you know, I hate people. <laughs> it's it is people <laughs> that create these stories. It's you know, searching for experiences that allow you to live like a local, and being with the locals allows you to experience those stories. So, when I take you to the Philippines, <laughs> I hope that you get to experience. I I don't know if I'm even considered a local anymore, but when I take you to the Philippines and I'm there in my birth country, I have a hope that you understand more of my country and more of me when, you know, when we do travel to see it. And not, it's not just like, oh, it's beautiful islands and a beautiful tropical beach and white sands and clear waters. Like, you know, I... It's more than just that. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, go to the Philippines to go swimming and go scuba diving and experience all this, like, beautiful earth. But if you think like that, it's no different than, like, going to the Caribbean yeah, it's, or, it's kind of, you know, anywhere it's else. It's kind of weird to say, like, I want you to go see my country and it's in, it, in both its beauty and its, like, disgusting, <laughs> terrible, like city sites <laughs> but i think it's important and it's personally important too yeah i mean if you just go to see the pretty things and sort of turn away from you know some of the more uglier pieces that are in a in a city or in a country then i don't think you're really getting the whole experience of mm -hmm. what's there and you know, these kinds of like every every country has their issues obviously some places are not doing as hot as others and i think if you go there and turn like turn a blind eye to that i think you're doing a disservice to them to not take in everything they have to offer the good yeah, and the exactly. bad because 
a lot of the good that exists within that country, they're there sometimes because of all of the the nasty stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I would like you to take... I, I would like to take you to the Philippines and see Manila and see where I grew up and, you know, kind of understand, like, I have this vision of, like, us being there, taking a day out to see you know, just how crowded everything is and how how noisy it is. It's The noise there is so different. There's, like, a noise there that, that's incomparable to the kind that you, you hear, even in Toronto. Like, Toronto's a city, but it's not quite as noisy as it is in Manila. And then going home and then showering. No, like, going home, sorry, looking in the mirror and thinking you've tanned, like, two shades darker, and then showering and then realize that you've actually just been, like, coated in a layer of pollution. <laughs> that, that is, like, my vision of our first day in the Philippines. And then going to see family and going to, like, get, gathering more context of who was there when I was growing up, you know? And maybe then after we can go island hopping and seeing more of what the Philippines has to offer. And food. Mm-hmm. And a lot of food. <laughs> yes, you do love your food all the time, especially it's, when we travel. Food is an important part of culture. You understand more of the culture when you yep. consume the food. Yeah, that's certainly true. Yeah, I think, I mean, some of the places I'd like to show you for sure are quite similar. And I think it's because to both of us, it's important to know, you know, where you come from and where you are now, because that's a reflection on you as a person. The place you grow up, your environment definitely shapes you. Mm-hmm. And like Canada is definitely a big place. And seeing all of it takes a while, and it's expensive, (laughs) ridiculously expensive. But I do want to show you more of Canada, both just, you know, to show you the place where you now live, but also, I think, myself included, I I want to know more about the history of of Canada. Mm -hmm. That's something, like, I've been working on. I found a free textbook online. And I've been slowly reading through it. And especially part of Canadian history is um, like colonizing the native peoples of North America is something that's, first of all, horrible in how they were treated. You mean colonizers can sometimes not be horrible? (laughs) Speaking as a person from a culture that has been colonized multiple times i don't think there's any good example of no, colonization of course not. i don't know but it's, I... it's an interesting there's there's an interesting discussion to be had here between you know you you white person <laughs> and me being a part of a culture that has been victimized by white people <laughs> i think that's colonization yeah. in a nutshell right there yeah. It's, it is terrible. Yeah, it's it's terrible, and I think one of, to make it even worse, is that 
it's not taught of well not. or sometimes at all of course it's not taught well because it's either they don't see anything wrong with what they did or they mm. would rather not think about it and be like it happened in the past with better people like we're better better people now it's you know just because you're better people now doesn't mean it didn't happen and it doesn't that doesn't mean that you yeah know, minorities are still getting shafted and we're still not people need to understand that we we are still feeling the effects of having been colonized like hundreds of years after still it's we're, we're still going to feel especially like our the filipina people our culture got demolished like it was like there's barely much of our culture that exists beyond or rather like there's barely anything that we we that's been mass taught that exists beyond the the spanish influence mm-hmm. you know 300 plus years of colonization and it's hard to it's hard to step away from that it's hard not to see it yeah and for someone like me who is privileged in that they don't have a lot of that or <laughs> any colonization really in their past I, I think it's even more important for me to read through the history of what happened in Canada because just like not seeing all parts of the city not seeing everything that happened to the people here I think also is doing a disservice it's being disrespectful to them and so wanting to explore Canada and explore Canadian history with that mindset of, you know, how can we look at the native tribes of Canada is, is also an important thing to do. Yeah, it's it's how do we look at them and how do we help? Because what do you, especially in Canada, like what do you do when you've taken their land and you're still living on it? You know, because <laughs> it's it. I guess like the 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 dynamic must be different because, well, in, I can't really say much. Like in the Philippines, you know, it's not like the Spaniards, and the Americans and the Japanese. <laughs> they they did live there for a long ass time, but now that we've sort of. I say this, I, I tread lightly on my wording here because the politics there currently isn't exactly the best right now. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we the Filipino people live on Filipino soil. Ideally. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what do you do in Canada when you've taken the land from, from the native peoples and being Canadian is kind of be, like being a Canadian on Canadian soil is kind of a questionable thing. I don't have the answer. It's just you know, a thought that must be. Yeah. You know, as you must have it in the back of your head, and especially for people who are in positions of power who have a voice to to use to you know be supportive of the indigenous people. It's it's something that you have to think about. Yeah, I think Canada's definitely 
had some good turns. Uh, like, we now have a Minister of Aboriginal Affairs, but that's, I think, only coming in, like, the past 10, 15 years. And just thinking that it took that long. Considering Canada's been a country for 150-something years, and only having a representative for Indigenous people for the past 10, 15 of those 150-plus years, that's... Yeah. So, like, basically... And... I think still today, Aboriginal people here don't really have that much of a voice. I, I do think it's getting a bit better, but it's still mm-hmm. very far from what it should be. But just thinking that basically until this millennia, they didn't really have a voice. Just like that, so much disservice, so much disrespect, so much culture and their identity lost. And it's just been in, like, the past, I don't know, 20 years when people are realizing things like no kids today know how to speak their native tongues because the colonizers have just been so awful and that they forbid them from doing so that you're basically losing so much of Mm -hmm. their culture and identity. Yeah, that's, well, that's how I feel as as a Filipino who, like, you know, how... Every time I speak Filipino and then someone someone goes like, oh, it sounds like you're speaking Spanish, a small part of me, like, dies a little bit because, you know, it's not Spanish, <laughs> but it's... Do, do people know what the Filipino language sounded like before? colonization or is all that basically been destroyed by the colonizers both honestly because you know everything was was written and even i know there's been efforts in the recent years of there's been like a resurgence of the form of writing just called babayin and you know i i remember learning about it in school and and it's it's this is the thing, though. Like, I remember learning about it in school, but I remember learning about it in history class, which kind of sucks because it's like, this is this is the form of writing that we used, but it's in it's in history class. It's it's history. It's not a thing that we use now. It's kind of it. It's it's gone. It's it's gone. It's yeah. It's in the past. And now we we write and speak and well. Tagalog, at least. You're right in speaking this, like, weird, like, partially Spanish, partially, like, we have our own words that aren't Spanish words. There are some some more of the, the deeper words that are not in any way Spanish-sounding, but, yeah, it still, it still kind of sucks. It's, it's... Act, it was actual like yeah. cultural genocide is is what happened and if you if you look at Canada there's a worry there that you know could be the same thing yeah yeah definitely there's that same worry i am happy to say that just in the past year there's been resurgence especially of younger people trying to mm-hmm. connect with their cultural roots so for example, there was, I think it was just this past year, the first time that the national anthem was sung at 
a sports event in an mm-hmm. aboriginal language and um there was a group of artists and i think they were either in high school or just out of high school and they put together like uh albums of i think it was classic rock might have been beatles um but all in mm. uh their native tongue there are so there, there has been some their efforts and the thing that i think excites me the most is that their efforts coming from like teenagers and i guess just the younger generation being excited by trying to connect with their cultural roots and to spread that to other mm-hmm. people of their generation yeah if only you know if only the older generation let the, let the kids actually do it to an extent where it it lasts <laughs> That's the, that's the thing I find with anything, whenever a younger generation kind of like, whenever young people start something, there's a, there's always, because I guess it's because the people who do start things aren't necessarily in a position where they can do anything that sticks yet, and that kind of sucks. <laughs> kind of sucks. It mm-hmm. sucks a lot. See, this why culture is super important. I am... I'm kind of sad that I only speak the one language of, of my people, of the Philippine people. So there's a lot out there. There's like. I was going to say, yeah, there's, there's like Cebuano, quite a there's few, Pusaya, aren't isn't there? A bunch of other ones, and I speak none of them, which is kind of awful. It's. it's and they, they sound very different from each other. Incredibly different. And it's only in like. Tagalog, I feel like, has the biggest Spanish influence. I could be wrong. And the fact that I don't speak the other dialects, which, understandably, considering I'm not from the regions where the dialect would be from, but it, it makes me a little mm-hmm. sad. Because I feel like they've been able to latch onto something beyond the Spanish influence. They've been able to retain know, more. I don't know of if they've been able to their identity. Is that what you're more of the identity? I haven't necessarily looked into it as much, but it could be they have retained more of the identity, or they were able to evolve into an identity that's more Filipino. Culture, culture is important, and especially when you're, especially when you're a yeah. traveler, to other countries to experience said culture there's you know a lot that you don't know because you you know like it's the same thing with me where like i don't speak the the dialects of other places you know there's a lot i don't know and it can become difficult if you don't speak the same language but even if you don't speak the same language if you travel to other places there's a certain there are certain gestures or certain like things that are universal but it's just important to be. Yeah, I, I think one of the important things to remember when you're traveling to a different place is you're entering their country, mm-hmm. not the other way around. <coughs> so, <Logan Paul. laughs> so you're you're the one who's going to have to go there and be shocked and learn about all these things that you didn't know. And like, it's it's okay that you don't know at first, but you need to make the effort oh that's the title you need to have a little like (laughs) 
noise, like a celebration noise. <laughs> yeah. Pew, pew, so title got, drop. Woo. Okay. But yeah, you need to make the effort, pew pew, to learn as much as you can about mm-hmm. the places you're going to. And remember that because you're going to to their country, to their homes, like you're essentially getting to be a part of their lives. They're not there to like entertain you or to live around your dumb tourist antics. Like you have to remember that you are there invading their space, their everyday lives. And you shouldn't expect them to and to adjust themselves just because you are mildly inconvenienced. Like you made the choice exactly. to travel to this place. That means that you are making the choice to experience the culture and making the choice to be you know you're knowingly going there and it's like you have to know that it's different right like you can't you can't just like go to a place that's completely different from what you know and expect it to be exactly the same yeah if if that's what you want just i guess travel within like the two hours of where you live a a part of a part of it is like you're not going to you're going to travel happily around the world let's say and you can't expect the architecture the the everything to be the same you can't just be like well back in whatever we had this well that's back where you live this is a different place but at the same time it's kind of silly to be like going on the internet and asking questions like do they have tissue paper in this place like yes yes we do calm down <laughs> Okay, you know, you're going to a place that's different, not, you know, inhumane. Yeah. It's like, have you ever seen those, there's like stories online where it's like, oh, we went to this, this other country and we didn't know that people there didn't speak English. What? Do you not do your research? That's weird. That's, that's strange. Why would you go to a place and not do your research? That's... That's key. That's one of the key things when you're traveling is you do you do your research because what first of all, <laughs> you're spending a lot of money to go to a certain place. You do your research. You just be a decent human being. And I think that's the thing. You know, to be responsible, you just treat the place you're going to like it's home. Treat it like mm-hmm. your friend has invited you to stay over at their house and you know, do your research if you're afraid to commit, like, a cultural faux pas. Just do a quick, like, what not to do in this place. There's no there's no such thing as well-meaning ignorance, you know? And if you do end up, like, finding something a little, like, outside your comfort zone, just look at things with an open mind. If the food looks like nothing you've ever seen before... Now don't make that don't make that face of like, oh my god, what is this? Like <laughs> just, just try it. If other people are eating it, it most likely will not kill you. <laughs> just just try it. Yeah, I think just being open to try everything. Yeah. You know, food, the culture, the customs. Yeah. Yeah. And the worst okay. Well one of the things about the the customs too is so there's uh a show on Netflix called um, Tidying Tidying Up with Marie Kondo and Mm -hmm. 
So a part of her method of of cleaning up is she thanks the house, she thanks the items to you know for for their service in your life, and she does the things she does can can look a little ritualistic to other people because she you know she'll sit you know she'll she'll kneel and then she'll like bow to the to say thank you to the house and everything and you know it's just it's just the thing that is common in i think buddhist and taoist cultures mm-hmm. and there are there are comments of people that i read online about how like weird it was that she was doing that and it's kind of like how about, how about you shut the fuck up and just let her let her do it it's it's clearly very important to her it's clearly very important to the, you know the the culture give thanks in that way it's what's weird is you you calling it weird like just take things with an open mind there's nothing wrong with being able to look at something and be like okay i'll do that like reserve your judgment until after you've experienced a thing and even then if yeah. your judgment is that's weird you're probably wrong <laughs> unless it's harmful obviously but but yeah like while you're there you definitely should try all the different customs mm-hmm. you don't have to take it home with you yeah but while you're there like you didn't travel there to live like yourself back home otherwise you would have just stayed home yeah yeah so why would you go somewhere else and just live exactly the same yeah it's going back to the metaphor about like it's treat it as if your friend is inviting you over to their house if they have if they have a, a thing that they do at their house like let's say they put the I don't know, they put the milk in the freezer. Like, let them live their life. <laughs> don't don't <laughs> judge them. You, they have invited you to their house. Like, why? why and they, I don't know. It, it, it tur- you turn out to be the asshole when you're doing the judgments. Yeah, there's very few scenarios where being the, like, judgy person works out for oh, you oh yeah it's unless you're like specifically called like you know the judge for a game show where you're expected to judge people i, I don't think that being judgmental is in any way useful in your life and on the flip side uh to be you know keeping on the being a responsible traveler do not romanticize the place that you're going to i find that incredibly like damaging to your experience and possibly harmful i've met a few people who have thought that let's say they were going to paris and i've met a few people who have thought that it wasn't what i expected it to be and then they ended up not enjoying the place because they, they've they kept that image in their head of like it was going to be this grand like romantic architecture was going to be great food was going to be great and all of that stuff and they went they get to paris and it's all rainy and you know because it's europe it's always raining and some they ended up in one hyper expensive food like restaurant where the food wasn't quite what they thought it was going to be and their whole experience then got ruined and and their whole like viewpoint of the place is ruined because they came in thinking way too romantically of the location you know set your expectations to be an appropriate level 
Yeah, I think you you want to have expectations of a place because otherwise, how can you, when you're planning a trip, like look at a place and decide, is this a place I want to go? Is this a place I can skip? Mm-hmm. Or it's a place that, like, I can see some people would enjoy it, but it's not for me. Mm-hmm. But if you, I guess, like overhype yourself mm-hmm. and you think everything's gonna be like the best thing ever. And then, like you said, you get there and it doesn't, like, quite live up to your expectations. Mm-hmm. Then you just end up feeling disappointed Yeah. over what is probably still a really great trip. Just you had your expectations cranked up to 11 and it was maybe an 8. Yeah, but, I mean, like, a big part of that is because you didn't, first of all, you didn't do your research. Or your research consisted of scrolling through Instagram where everybody puts their best foot forward and... Yeah, there there were, like, as as I was doing research for Japan, there were a few, you know, the pictures of Fushimi Inari, where you have the, the hundreds of Tori gates lining everything. And people don't mm-hmm. necessarily talk about how crowded it gets at 8 o'clock a.m. Like, it gets ridiculously crowded. And if you scroll through Instagram, and you if you look at the pictures, if you think, like, okay, these are places I would like to go, I guess, yeah. Because if it's an Instagrammable place, it's bound to be beautiful. I understand. But on Instagram, you don't see these types of things where it's like, oh my god, it's ridiculously hot. It's ridiculously crowded. And if you go through the gates in both the heat and being crowded, your experience just gets ruined. And then it gets extra ruined because you had this romanticized idea in your head. And... It doesn't do you or the place any favors. And that's why a lot of, as I was doing the research, a lot of people say like, oh, skip Kyoto because so many tourists and there's like, the tourists just ruin everything. And, you know, it it just sounds like they didn't look deep enough or they had an idea that like, oh, Kyoto is going to be this magical, historically pristine place of japan because you know it used to be the capital a lot of the areas still it looks you know old-timey it's a very different place from tokyo and they got there and they were disappointed yeah and i think i think like you can't exactly let other tourists define ruin (laughs) define your experience yeah (laughs) because tourists everywhere can just be awful can just be jerks Mm -hmm. and i think if you go looking for something that will upset you you're gonna find it whether (laughs) it's the heat the tourists the sound the bugs the cost of everything if you go in with that mindset of like something here will will upset me you're for sure gonna find Mm -hmm. it but if you're just if you go there and just like have that open mind and just you're there to experience what's there Mm -hmm then conversely, you're going to find something that you really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. And just a note on tourists and on other tourists too. Just, there's there's going to be a lot of people in general, like all the time. And you're, no, you're not the only tourist there. Like don't expect the experience to cater to specifically you, tourist. And just, you know, if you think about it in a way that like, oh, these other people are going to be experiencing the same joy as I am right now. And if you at least think about it in a positive way, 
the it, it at least relieves some of the annoyance of like everyone's annoyed over tourists being there it's not something we can we can help but if you try to at least think about other people as like oh this these people probably went to this place and it probably had a lot of fun the same way i did at least at the very least it relieves some of that annoyance basically it helps to be a good person (laughs) 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 so talked about a lot about travel but how about we talk about the more practical sides of of discussing travel which is mainly the tips and tricks on how to actually travel considering um you and i travel a lot not necessarily together but we've gone on our fair share of traveling traveling on our fair share of trips what are mm-hmm. your tips and tricks for budget travel traveling in general we can do like you go first and i'll go next and then you go alternate okay um i think we talked a lot about like making sure you research mm-hmm. And I think one of the first things you need to do is, like, there's lots of places in the world. Decide where you want to go. <laughs> okay. Do your, just, <laughs> just do your research in general. Like, there's all these countries in the world you want to see. Pick one. Pick one. That's a, and that's decide, a good start. <laughs> yeah, just decide, this is where I want to go. Focus your research there. Because if you try and research every place that you want to go on the face of the earth, you're not going to get there. <laughs> Um, it's probably going to end up all muddled in your brain. You're going to get discouraged as you're trying to find the best places everywhere. So I would say start by picking one place, look at when are the best times to travel there, and make a decision, you know, this is where I want to go. If something comes up, I am happy to book it. This way, if there's like a flash sale on, say, flights, you can book immediately with no regrets and you don't you don't have to worry about missing out as you hem and haw over is this the place i really want to go what if there's a better sale coming up mm-hmm. you can just go right ahead with it yeah yeah i that's that's the thing that i like press onto people when they ask me how do you how do you begin to travel i always say just book your flight just the first, if you don't have a thing that's like let's say the Tokyo Olympics 2020 that's obviously at a certain time frame so you have to book your flight around that time but if you're if you're just thinking like I want to go to Morocco if you want to go to Morocco and you don't have a time frame book your flight travel off season because that's you know where the cheapest flights are going to be travel off season and then if you find a flight that's like to your sensitive sensitivities if you know that you can't physically take a long flight and you need stops you know book that fl- book that flight if you can handle longer flights and then the flight ends up cheaper than if you do this and that book that flight but the important thing is book your flight make the commitment just book it because you're never going to get anywhere if you don't have that commitment of like I'm actually going to this place. Yeah. And I think once you've, I guess, booked your flight and you're like, 
yeah, I'm I'm finally gonna go to to Morocco or wherever you're gonna go. I think the the next step I would take is look and see what's there, see what are the thing, and like divide it up into categories. Like these are the things I have to see, like that I really want to see. These are the things that I would like to see, and then these are the things I'd be okay skipping. Mm-hmm. And then when you're planning, you're like, what I'm gonna do on this day or on this on this other evening make sure that the first things that you put into your schedule are the things you really want to see because mm-hmm. if you really want to see it chances are there's probably a lot of people who, wanna who really want to see it also yeah. so you need to pick like okay do i want to see this at a certain time because it looks the best or do I want to see it at this time because there's fewer tourists there and I hate tourists? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what we did for Fushimi Inari. Woke up at four, yeah. walked up to the to to the peak and met zero tourists. We we probably Only businessmen. Only businessmen. We probably met like a couple of tourists who like had the same idea of like waking up at four o'clock to to get to the to the peak by sunrise. But it was we were able to pass through the hundreds of Tory gates completely tourist free. Yeah. Yeah. And Yeah, so Yep. Yeah, I was gonna say so plan your days around those and have the times when you'd kind of feel like you'd wanna break, put in, in something there that you'd be okay missing. That way if if you get to that point in your day and you're like, Wow, I've I just spent eight hours walking around and I can't do it anymore, you're at a point where it's something that you'd be willing to skip and you don't end up being like, but I really wanted to see this other thing and either you force yourself to go to it and have a terrible time or you end up missing Mm -hmm. it and you really regret it. That's a thing too. Like a lot of my reading, a lot of my research is like there are a lot of people saying, don't plan, let you know, go to a place and let life happen. And my over planner in me and my like, my, my, my whole body was just rejecting this idea. Like, what do you mean? Don't plan. <laughs> I, I could not comprehend because first of all, I'm paying for this. I don't ha- like, I don't have the money to spend and then not plan. That's just ridiculous to me. So, you know, there's got to be a good, and at the same time, like, don't over plan it. And then like what you said, where you stick to the plan so firmly that you end up not enjoying it anyway. So find a good in between of planning what you want, and then be flexible. Yeah, because I've experienced before where you plan, oh, this day, I'm going to see this thing. And then you get there and find out that every travel book forgot to tell you, oh, it's closed on Tuesdays. (laughs) Or somehow so, they're all uh, being renovated because the Olympics is happening. Exactly. Yeah. So if you don't have that kind of like flexibility, if everything in your list is something you have to go see, mm-hmm. you're probably going to end up disappointed. Yeah. So after you've, so you have your flights, you have your locations that you want to go to. The next thing I would suggest is booking your stay. It would be an Airbnb, a hotel, doesn't matter, near where you want to go. And it doesn't, like, people prioritize, like, the the price of their stays. I would advise, like, sure, 
if it's a cheap place, like A++, but I would say prioritize the location of your home base over the price of it. Because it doesn't matter if you get a location of your home, like if your home is, wow, like, wow, it was like $15 a night. If it's in the outskirts of where you want to go. If it takes you two hours to get into the city. Then what's the point? Your time is more valuable than the money that you're spending. Yeah, for sure. And I think if you're, you know, near near transit or just near all the things you want to see, it's going to encourage you to spend, first of all, it's going to encourage you to spend more time outside Mm -hmm. seeing the things you want to see. But also if you're out shopping or whatever, you can quickly nip back if you want to drop things off, unload, Mm -hmm. you know, fill up your water bottle, like any of these kinds of things. It gives you that flexibility to to make a quick drop off and then head back out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're really worried about the price don't stay at a hotel. <laughs> pick an Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, like don't don't stay in a hotel. Pick, pick an Airbnb. Pick like a a family stay. The hotels will hotels are unnecessarily expensive for a place that all you're going to do in is sleep and shower. And they're also a hotel looks like a hotel regardless of where you go. So if you at, at least if you pick an Airbnb, sometimes it'll be like, you know, a traditional house or you get that culture experience. Yeah, with exactly. It, rather than seeing the exact same hotel that's like the chain <laughs> the same... exact same in every country across it's, the world. It's the same Marriott with the same like beige covers and red like duvet. The same architect designed the one floor plan that's used in like 200 different hotels. <laughs> With the same decorations, they just swap out the art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so flight places your your home base. You know, ideally, if you've if you're traveling off season and you you've picked your flight well, you you you'll have fingers crossed saved a lot. Then you can go wild <laughs> when you're at the place. Uh, like obviously, stick to a budget. Don't forget to budget your daily spendings for food and your daily spendings for everything else like attractions souvenirs and what else did you budget for transportation transportation tips for like hotel staff or Mm -hmm. your airbnb anything like that you want to do and and tax like what, what do they call it like city tax or like yeah city tax accommodation accommodation tax that like isn't listed anywhere yeah and i i find if you if you budget multiply it by you know at a at a third at a half at a quarter add something to it because there's always going to be things that come up or that are more than you expected Mm -hmm. i don't think you're ever gonna budget something and like come out to the dime Mm -hmm. this is what it is yeah and despite just you know it's, this is like a personal trick, is I don't like eating at restaurants when we're when we're traveling. I don't like doing the whole rest like sit down restaurant thing. Uh, I like I, I prefer street food or like side street local shop because that's usually where you get the cheaper food and the more 
authentic food. So avoid avoid main road restaurants. I mean, this is obviously like if you have allergies, if you have dietary restrictions, obviously it, it is more difficult to to find food that you can eat. But if you are able to, street food and side street local food. And it lets you see more of the city because mm-hmm. you can you can eat, you can look around, mm-hmm. you might explore some of these side streets you might not otherwise mm-hmm. have. And it lets you engage with the people, like the local people a bit more. Because at a restaurant, really, the only like people you're really seeing is possibly your your waitress or your server. And at a local place or like a street vendor, you may get to talk to other people who are also ordering, or you may even get to talk to the owner and through that you get other tips and tricks and like little like notes of like here's a hidden gem that you can see that sort of stuff and i think it's easier to see what the other people are ordering at like a street food mm-hmm. stall so then you can see oh here's what the locals are ordering yeah that's probably the best mm-hmm. thing yeah exactly like no 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 hate to the the restaurants but They've got to have like commercialized aspect to their food. That's why they're restaurants. And street food is cheaper and in general. And street food is cheaper in general, yeah. Now you're there, you're eating your food. When it comes to the people, always, always, always greet people. If you end up making eye contact, don't look away. Smile. Just smile and nod. That's pretty universal. And always, always say thank you. People usually know what thank you is. It's also pretty universal. If you want to say thank you in the language of the place you're traveling to, look it up beforehand. But but thank you is is a much... People know what it is. People appreciate it at any level. Just treat people like just people. Just treat people like people. Yeah, like they're not there to entertain you. They're not, you know, they're just living their lives. So be nice. Say thank you. It helps. One thing we did for Japan, which I'd never done before, was traveling with just a carry-on. Oh, you've never done the one-bag thing? <laughs> I'd never done a one-bag thing props before. and, like, shout-out to r slash one-bag for giving me all of the information that I would ever need. Go on. <laughs> yeah. So, af- after having, like lived the the multiple bag life usually a backpack and then like a big wheelie suitcase and then going to just a carry-on backpack i have to say there's a lot of things i really like Mm -hmm. about it first of all airports much easier you don't have to wait around for your luggage when you get off the plane oh my god (laughs) you don't have to worry that they're hurling your suitcase into the depths of the airplane Mm -hmm. you don't have to worry if they like lose it (laughs) Yeah, moving it by transit, you know, taking it on the local subway or a bus, so much easier mm-hmm. than if you're trying to do it with a giant. Like, especially if you're traveling with like your whole family, and then you have like four, four p- big suitcases, four giant wheelie bags. It's the worst. And, yeah, and four giant wheelie bags, and let's say you're traveling to Europe where everything's like cobblestone, and you make the the you know. You know the noise of, like, wheelie bags on cobblestone? 
I yeah. hate that noise. It makes me, it like, it's one of those things that like truly signals to other people that, oh, hey, that person's tourist. Especially for Europe too. If you're renting a car, you may not be able to get all of your baggage in the trunk because or trunk cars in Europe are so small. Or, or in the elevator. That too. Especially if, or if they don't yeah, have an elevator. Say, and then you have to carry it up three flights of <laughs> if, stairs. I've done if this. If they don't even have an elevator, first of all. <laughs> yeah. Which is like completely fine because, you know, it's it the areas are much smaller, but and and terrain is different. But it's just one of those things that like having just a backpack is life. Just the the other thing I really liked about just having the backpack is because you're so severely limited on space, it forces you to buy only what you really want. Mm-hmm. If you're at a souvenir place and you're like, should I get this? Should I not get this? And then you look at your backpack and be like, well, there's only about a fistful of space left in it. Mm-hmm. Is this worth that fistful of space? <laughs> yeah. So I found it really encouraged me to to only purchase things I really wanted and not be frivolous with my money. Yeah, 10 out of 10, avoid consumerism, but still be able to bring souvenirs home. I guess that's another thing is research the souvenirs you want ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Know, you know, about what a good price is. Is there a certain place that like this souvenir comes from? Mm-hmm. Does it matter to you that you get it? from from that place that you get it local to the place it's known for mm-hmm. or are you find picking it up at the airport or any sort of generic souvenir shop yeah yeah it's it's like one of it's like that tip people have to avoid like over shopping is if you come into the store make sure you have your list of things that you want to buy it's the same thing when you go to another country so that your store is just much bigger and much further <laughs> And if you're traveling with other people, coordinate what you're packing. Like, if, if you're traveling with your family, chances are you only need one person to bring sunscreen. You don't need four bottles of sunscreen mm-hmm. when you arrive. Or buy it when you get there. Yeah, exactly. So you don't have to worry about, is this under the limit of liquids I can take on the airplane? Mm-hmm. And learn how to hand wash your clothing. Yeah, washing your clothing in a sink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can be very useful. Yeah. Unless, okay, there's like obviously the the more like the people who depend on needing to have nice clothing when they go to other places. Sure, I understand that you may need to bring more things than you would usually have when you're traveling. Like, you know, you can be both. You can trap both like travel light and still look good. <laughs> it's just a matter of picking what to bring so for for ladies i don't i don't necessarily have tips and tricks for for men for packing but for ladies chiffon clothing is awesome because no wrinkles it is the lightest fabric and folds up to the tiniest space so you can bring like five dresses basically if they're all chiffon they they're basically they don't weigh anything and they pack really really tiny also get packing cubes because they help so much and don't listen to the people on r slash one bag saying that they only bring two pairs of underwear 
Yeah, please don't do that. No one wants to be standing in a crowd of 100 tourists where everyone smells. Where everyone smells your, like, weak old underwear that you haven't washed in, like... Also remember to bathe. Please bathe. <laughs> please don't be, like, you know, those, like, a white bagpacker. Please don't. Just, you know, be responsible, be a de- decent human being, and respect the culture that you're in. Another thing I think we need to talk about is respecting the environment in general mm-hmm. oh because before, before that travel before mm-hmm. that actually maybe at the same time no no just continue with that and we can go back to to what i was gonna say sure i was just gonna say that travel itself is not great for the environment mm-hmm. flights are probably one of the worst things the average person can do to the environment so if you're going for a trip it's better to make your trip longer than to take many short mm-hmm, trips mm-hmm. and making sure that you're using public transit. Lots of places have like day passes mm-hmm. for tourists. Uh, so making sure that you do that, that you like renting a car and being part of the pollution and traffic is not, it's not a great thing to do. <laughs> yeah. And the usual like minimize your garbage if if you're if you're taking snacks with you like learn to take your garbage with you as well clean clean as you go i don't know if that was taught here but we had a thing back home that was like clay go clean as you go here the phrase is take only pictures leave only footprints yeah yeah especially when you're doing i like to to divide my travels into two categories it's culture versus adventure so the culture is like the stuff i like to do where i see people and live like local mm-hmm. and the adventure part is you know all the hiking stuff and seeing seeing the world seeing the natural stuff and especially when you're off to see nature please 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 don't be garbage don't be a garbage person don't don't like don't don't kick things. Don't pick at the the nature. Don't don't bring sand home. Oh my god, the or rocks or, rocks or, or leaves or flowers or whatever. I, I see there was a thing on the internet a few, a few some years ago where people are were bringing home like bottles of sand and then they label it like this is sand from. The Bahamas, this is sand from wherever. And I'm like, that's terrible. Because it's not like, it. Like, don't encourage people to do it. You, you think it's cute, but like, don't encourage people to do this. Because if people start picking up on this thing, is there sand that's good? Like, people make a dent on things. And if hundreds of people start doing the stupid sand bottle thing... You're going to damage that environment so severely that it's not going to be there anymore in like 50 years or even 20 years or even 10. And please don't underestimate nature. Please don't, you know, go hiking at something that's beyond your skill level. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not worth dying for. It it's it's really not. There's this like people don't talk about this I th- I, enough, I don't think, but Mount Everest, there's so many dead bodies on Mount Everest. And so much and garbage. so much garbage. 
please don't don't even bother like admire mount everest and mount like admire the the height of it just it's it's a beautiful mountain but if it's if you're not going to keep it that yeah, way keep it that way if you're not going to hike it safely and without garbage and like just don't it's okay you don't have to prove anything and i know it's like people are like but i'm not proving anything to other people i'm proving it for myself pick something else put that energy towards something else that's less damaging to the environment and less damaging to yourself it's not worth dying for and guides to places exist for a reason if you're not sure like consult consult a guide a local guide Mm -hmm. or trust in them to say like hey you shouldn't be doing this if they tell you that you probably shouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. it and if there are no guides take that as, as a warning of like if the locals don't even do this stupid thing don't do it yeah don't do anything the locals wouldn't exactly and another thing while we're on the whole like um nature things aren't worth dying for don't think that because other people have taken a thrilling picture at really high up a mountain or on a ridge line or whatever don't think that just because they did it when you do it you're going to be completely safe because you're not you don't know what the environment is going to do. It could be very windy and you you wouldn't even know until it ha- like until it happens you you won't know just how dangerous the situation you're in is. Nature is unforgiving and that that picture isn't worth it. Don't die. Yeah, nothing is worth your life. Yeah, don't like don't die for a picture. It's not worth it. And, like, just, just, just don't. Even if you are able to do it safely, like, if you, if you're up a mountain and you have the, the carabiners and you have things stuck on the, the lines and you have all the cords, don't encourage people. Like, don't take the cool pic and then on, in the caption just, just write some, like, vague quote or whatever without saying, like, I, use this this and this please be safe if you're not going to do that don't post a freaking picture because that just encourages other people who are unprepared who are ignorant and who wouldn't even know the first thing about taking a terrifying picture it's not worth it i think the last thing i have is completely unrelated to nature and making sure you come home alive. <laughs> but if there's something you know you really want to see and there's a lot of tourists who are going to go to it, um, from memory, I think one of the biggest ones that I saw for this was like Anne Frank's house. Mm-hmm. Look if they have advanced tickets. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Advanced tickets can save you time. It can save you from lining up in the boiling sun or the pouring rain and because you've already purchased it it helps you with your budget because you already have spent x amount of dollars towards your attractions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's not sometimes it's not even just advanced tickets it's seeing it's like seeing if they have tickets 
Yeah. Especially the... You don't want to go all the way there if it's, like, out of the way, arrive, and, and then, then to be like, sorry. Especially a lot of the museums in Europe, too, they have, like, the smaller museums, especially, like, the Van Gogh Museum, they only sell a certain number, and sometimes the tickets are like, oh, the next the next ticket that you can get is, like, in four days. So, definitely, definitely definitely do your research if you're going to a place just do your research like I, I don't understand why this is like a thing that we have to say but it's possibly the most important thing just do your research people who are able to go to a place and be like i'm just gonna see what happens don't listen to them those people are like <laughs> those people are privileged fucks who think that they can spend money and then go to a place and just see what happens and not okay that's just it's very very biased it's very like opinion like it is my opinion but i don't agree with people who do this and i don't agree with people who encourage to do this because that is money yeah i feel like chances are if you're one of the people who does this and likes it it's because you have the money, money is to throw of away. no yeah, it's no problem exactly. to you. But yeah, and, you know, to to make the most out of your experience, you know, do your research. Like, we went to Stonehenge, and we went with my family, and my grandmom was, was with us, and my grandmom doesn't know anything about Stonehenge. So we got there, and, you know, Stonehenge is a pretty, it's about an hour's, an hour-ish away from London, an hour and a mm -hmm. half, I think. I don't, know, I don't know. It was, it was a little further out. It might be longer. I, I, yeah. I don't quite remember. Yeah, I don't remember because we didn't go there when I went with my family. We didn't go there from London. We were going from, I can't remember, one small village to mm -hmm. another. But even then, I think it was still like half an hour out of the way yeah. from the path we would have taken. Yeah, so we go there. And the thing is, you don't... When you go visit Stonehenge, and again, it's one of those things where you don't do your research just on Instagram, like go deeper, but you don't actually get close to it. You're way, way, way far from it. So like Stonehenge is like, if you put your hand about an arm's length away from you, that's like, that's about what you see, right? I went there about 10 years ago now. When I was there, I think they had the fence up, so you were five meters away from it. So it sounds like, based on what you've said, they moved those fences way back. Yeah, like, the, basically you don't get to be in it, is what I'm trying to say. Like, you don't, you don't yeah, get to- Yeah, I think they had issues with, like, erosion from people touching exactly. them and graffiti. So you don't, you don't get to touch it, you don't get to, like, be in it. So my grandma was looking at it, and she was she and she goes, "It's just a bunch of rocks." <laughs> and I laughed, and then I thought, like at first I was like, "Grandma," and then I thought about it, and I was like, "It makes sense though, because how is my grandma going to appreciate a bunch of rocks if if she doesn't have that she doesn't context, have context that we talked about at exactly. the start? She doesn't have the story." So I told my grandma about it, like people. It's so, like, people go to see it because nobody knows what it's what it's for. Yeah, no one knows what it's for or even how exactly it got there. Mm -hmm. 
like you said, it's an hour out of the way. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. nowhere. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of strange. It's a mystery. And then once I told my grandma, I'm like, it's a mystery. She she likes mysteries, so I told her like it's a bit of a mystery. And she was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So again, it's you know stories make a whole world of a difference. I a part of like the the research that I like to do as well is. I like to read about local legends and folklore because, you know, it, it adds to the it adds to the culture, it adds to the context. Even mm-hmm. if it's something that's not it's not quote unquote like true. <laughs> it's not like factual stuff. Folklore and, and legends, they they add a layer onto what you're seeing. Especially if it's like an ancient folklore yeah yeah. and the people back then may have believed it and then it gives you like a completely different lens to look through maybe why they did something or built something a certain way yeah exactly it's it's just a cool thing the one last thing about another couple of things when in in regards to the whole research thing when you do your research check reddit because sometimes Reddit has subreddits for specifically for travel to a certain location. So I frequented r slash Japan travel a lot when I was planning for our Japan trip. And there's, there's By a lot, subreddits. You mean every day. <laughs> How was I supposed to know then that some certain like certain places were closed for the Olympics? Yeah, I mean that was good. We we did our research. Yeah. Yeah, and how and and it was through Japan travel that I found out that you could see Mount Fuji if you were so on the train from Tokyo to Kyoto you can see Mount Fuji if you sit on the right side and if you sat on seat E you see a like a per- if if the weather permits it you see a perfectly like beautiful view of Mount Fuji about 20 minutes in from the the train ride and it was true. Sometimes the internet doesn't lie. Sometimes people are good. Some sometimes people are good. Do do your research. There's a lot of information out there now. Pay attention to the climate that you're going to, you know, the heat, the the mosquitoes, <laughs> the sunburn, you know, especially if it's a climate that you're not used to. Prepare for it. And Airbnb has it they just if you didn't know, if they have experiences as well as homestays the experiences are so fun we did i think we did like three of them we did we made our own ramen we made our own ramen we had a sake tasting thing and a kimono class and it was so fun and you can do them pretty short notice depending on what they are yeah yeah. So if like you get rained out of something or you get to somewhere and it's closed and you didn't expect it to, you can probably find something to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The last practical thing about traveling that I, I want to emphasize is if you're solo traveling, never brag about solo traveling. I, I don't think this is discussed enough. I don't think it's it's emphasized enough. Never ever think or say like you're you're solo traveling that in itself is is cool already you don't have to brag about it because once you start bragging about it that's like an invitation to say 
you know, no one will miss me if I go missing. Yeah, make sure you're staying safe. Exactly. If you're traveling solo, drop a hint here or there saying like, you know, I'm always communicating with this person. Oh, I'm just waiting for this person. And this is just like me, probably like maybe a paranoid thing, but don't put a flag on yourself that tells other people I am alone because, you know, there are, like like we said, we can't just look at the good things that traveling gives us. Bad people do exist everywhere else in the world. And sadly, a lot of times they target tourists because they're unfamiliar with the area or the customs exactly. or whatever schemes or ways they have exactly. of stealing from you. Exactly. And tourists are easy targets because... Sometimes it's it's just a lot more difficult to get law enforcement involved when you're a foreigner. It's just it's just a fact. And you're often pretty easy to spot. Oh yeah, if you're like one of those tourists that are like, I'm gonna wear a Hawaiian shirt and khakis and with your giant camera slung around your neck, Crocs and yeah, exactly. That's why I I always try to dress like a tourist, like a like a local. I try not to. That's why I took the the strap of my camera off and I always I I just use the wrist strap now because I try to blend in <laughs> and it's difficult for you as you know a blonde blue-eyed white guy going to an Asian country but <laughs> yeah <laughs> try at least <laughs> yeah and, and and it's also kind of difficult for me as a black-haired dark-eyed Asian person traveling through Europe <laughs> You know, Europe is still kind of... In the past five years, I've experienced microaggressions and some not quite so micro. Like, when we went to Spain, I think I've told you the story already. When we went to Spain, I got harassed, like, actually harassed by a group of these these ladies. And they did, they, like started oinking at me and and like smushing their you know because I'm, I'm asian so i have i don't have very much of a nose bridge so they started oinking at me and like doing the the you know the when you try to look like a pig and you push your nose up mm-hmm. yeah so they were doing that and they like one of them actually shoved me as at, at the time i was like severely confused i was like what is going on because there was a group of them and when you're when you're being harassed by a group, you get kind of confuzzled. So that was one. And then we were also in, what was that? I think we were in Switzerland. And someone had dropped something, like a shopkeeper had dropped something. And I picked it up for him and I gave it back. And he looks at my face. Like, he, I was, because it was raining. Because Europe. <laughs> it was raining. I, was, I had my raincoat on. And then I took... He, he like waited until I stood back up so that he could see my face and then he goes Shishi, which is you know thank you and um, I don't know if it's Mandarin or can't I think it's Mandarin I think it's Mandarin and again I was like a bit taken aback like I understood what he meant and I I understand the the sentiment and the intention but I'm not Chinese <laughs> and just because I look Asian doesn't mean I'm Chinese. <laughs> and it, it's, it's, I was conflicted because, it, you know, he said thank you. And he made an effort to 
attempt to say it in possibly a language that I understood, even though thank you is universal. <laughs> I'm not Chinese. So it's it's a kind of, it's a weird feeling trying like struggling with this. It's weird. Huh. And then there was also this other like story that I heard from my family about how they're in London and the taxi the taxi cab brought them to the their hotel and then they took the bags out and as he was taking the their their luggage out of the trunk, he goes, So do you guys have this where you are? And then they go taxi cabs <laughs> and he goes like yeah and it's just again one of those funny things of like yes we we have transportation we have these things that we've all developed kind of globally i don't know what your idea of where we come from is like but we are as civilized as you are i guess <laughs> You know, these things. And I, I'm sure, not that I'm like trying to be mean or anything, but I'm sure you haven't come across these types of microaggressions in your travels. No, I can't say I have. But it happens to us quite often. And, I mean, there's not too much to say about it, really. It's more of just the, like, a thing that I'm, I'm feeding you as an interracial couple traveling sometimes i get treated differently yeah i i can see that even when we're walking together here in toronto people will always talk to me being both the white person and the male of the pair they'll always ask me stuff first before you mm -hmm. yeah and i don't know and there's like i i also feel some sort of like i think it's the internalized internalized racism in me or like the self-hatred in me that I now that I am a Canadian citizen and I have a Canadian passport and I have more of a like I have the privilege of travel when these microaggressions happen I feel just a little bit angrier because now I, f I have that extra idea of like I'm Canadian, which is also kind of, it, it, I feel conflict in thinking that because yes, I'm Canadian, but I grew up in the Philippines where if I want to travel to certain places, I need to apply for a visa first. And sometimes these visas don't get, you know, you get rejected. But, you know, I feel anger towards the, the person who's assuming that I come from a developing country, which I do, but don't live there now. I have anger towards myself for thinking this way, and I have an extra anger of, like, th that initial anger of, like, you know, just because I am from a developing country doesn't give you the right. It's, it's complex feelings, complex minority feelings that, that I experience that I'm sure you don't, and it's just, this is mostly the, I'm, I'm telling you this just to give some insight as to how it feels to travel, and like, context, I guess, as to why I look at travel the way I do. Yeah, I think after listening to you, one thing we should add is the importance of 
if people are traveling to your country, to your city, like doing all that you can to make them feel welcome, to help them see the culture and the things that you enjoy so much about your city and country, because you want them to, like, yes, you want them to, to see the good and the bad of your your country to have that whole view but i'd like to think most people want other people to come out thinking that they had a positive view of of your home right mm-hmm. and i think those microaggressions or people who have racist remarks or attitudes like you've experienced probably didn't make you enjoy like that part of spain right Oh no, I like I dread if we ever have to go back to cuz I I know you haven't been to Spain. No, I haven't. Yeah, and I like if if you ever like come up to me and be like, "Let's go to Spain." My stomach part of you like, will die. <laughs> my my stomach like clenches a little bit thinking like, "Oh god, do we have to?" <laughs> cuz yeah, it's it's that one experience kind of like tainted the whole thing which is unfortunate because we went to barcelona and barcelona is beautiful yeah you don't want to be like the one person or the one event that ruined a country for someone or ruined a trip for someone yeah i think we like talked about this in another podcast episode you you don't want to be the example that causes the generalization for another person yeah exactly yeah yeah even even now is travel Travel is good, but let's not forget that sometimes there are intricacies to human relationships that... You know, I'm trying to say this in a really nice way. So, basically, sometimes people are racist. <laughs> sometimes people are not good people. And especially for... And I was thinking, I've thought about this a lot when we went to Japan, is sometimes... Not just Japan, it's it's also to when we went to Italy and a good chunk of Europe actually, with what with their, their cobblestone their cobblestone streets and like the lack of elevators and everything. People who are differently abled kind of have the really sh- really, really, really short end of the stick when it comes to traveling and travel opportunities. And I know like they they have different needs but that shouldn't be an issue and i know a part of traveling is the walking around and the having to physically be one place and then another place but that shouldn't be an issue it it really shouldn't because there's going to be locals there who are also who are also differently exactly and so yeah but the thing is too like if if the if the locals aren't getting the support that they need to live their lives, what more for differently abled tourists? Yeah, exactly. It it's it's unfortunate, and it's just it's something I thought about a lot when when we go traveling. I wish we had a world that was more supportive towards you know differently able people and people who need accessibility support. If, if only the world was more accessible, basically. If only people were inclusive I, like, of everyone. Yeah, if only the world was more inclusive of everyone. And that's why I hate bag packers. 
hate them so much. Yeah. Travel is fun. Travel needs to be better for everyone. And make sure you're doing what you can to make travel best for yourself. Yeah. Um, I would like to end this podcast by kind of reciting the Icelandic pledge, which we will link in the show notes below or above, whichever the UI shows the show notes. But so the pledge goes, I pledge to be a responsible tourist. When I explore new places, I will leave them as I found them. I will take photos to die for without dying for them. I will follow the road into the unknown, but never venture off the road, and I will only park where I am supposed to. When I sleep out under the stars, I'll stay within a campsite, and when nature calls, I won't answer the call on nature. I will be prepared for all weathers, all possibilities, and all adventures. Which I think is a very good way to think about how to be responsible. You can take the pledge at the link that we will include. Thank you for listening to this episode of Making the Effort Podcast. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our new location, Anchor. I think it's called Anchor. <laughs> Anchor, we will include all the links in the show notes. Or you can email us at makingtheeffortpodcast at gmail.com. Happy travels. Bye! Bye!